This morning's message is action and attitude, and this is going to be part one. Next week, we're going to look at Nehemiah, part two, hammers and spears, and how when we walk through life, sometimes we've got to walk through life with a hammer in one hand working and a spear in the other hand ready to fight. But today, we're going to talk about purpose in our pain, how God has a purpose a lot of times for our pain. Okay, so there's a certain evangelist's wife who died. And when he had to be away in meetings, he hired a babysitter to take care of his two sons. Whenever he had been away, he would always bring them a gift when he arrived back home. One day, however, he came home and had forgotten to buy the boys a gift. When they asked their father where their presents were, the father told them he would take them to the store and that they could have whatever they wanted. That's a dangerous thing to say to kids. Okay, so you just got to be careful which store you take them to. All right. And so when they arrived, the first thing they saw was the candy counter. They decided they wanted to buy candy. Their father said, let's look around a little more first. And then they went to the toy department and they saw cowboy suits complete with guns, hats, and ropes. You can tell how old this story is because apparently we can't have those anymore. Um, Guns are bad or something, I don't know. And they both yelled, Dad, this is what we want. We want to be cowboys. We want the guns and the ropes and stuff. And their father replied, Let's look around just a little bit more first. And next, they went into the sporting goods and found basketballs. They began to dribble them about the place and told their father they wanted to buy balls. And their father said, let's look around just a little bit more. So they continued to shop, and as they did, they spotted two brand-new 10-speed bicycles against the back wall. Their father saw what they were looking at and said, how would you like to have those bikes? The two boys left the store with far more than they bargained for because their father refused to let them settle for less than his best. He had known all along he was going to buy those kids the bikes, but he wanted to teach them a lesson of saying, can you put off what you think is important for what I know is best? And that's a lot of times what God does to us. He's asking us, can we put off what we think is important and wait for his best and what he has for us. And so this morning we're going to look in Genesis. We're going way back. We're going to Genesis 37 this morning and we're going to look at the life of Joseph this morning. And so I'm going to give you a chance to get there. Genesis 37, we're starting right at verse 1 this morning. Genesis 37, verse 1, we're starting in. This is where the story of Jacob starts. Or Joseph. And says, So Jacob settled in again the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked with his half, for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilah, and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph Joseph more than any of the other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around me and bowed low before mine. 
starting this off and starting the story off looking at Joseph, we see Joseph was a dreamer, <laughs> right? He just, had, he, he just, he was loved by his father, and that's just a good reason to never pick kids better than the other ones because the other kids won't like them. Um, but he was a dreamer. He was different. And so as we walk through life, we need to understand that being different is okay. Being different is who God created us to be. He created each one of us individually with specific DNA to be who we are, not to be like somebody else. And then he starts planting dreams inside of all of us. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, about how God gives us dreams. And when God gives us dreams, sometimes they scare us a lot. Because God-sized dreams should scare us. What God wants to do should scare us, and it shouldn't always make sense. And that's really what's going on here in this story. As, as he's telling this dream to these people, Joseph, Joseph in his pride, thinks that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be cool. You guys are going to bow down to me. Any of you guys ever been like that? I'm the supervisor at my job. You have to listen to me. You guys ever seen that? They ain't got a clue what they're talking about, but you got to listen to them because they're your supervisor. Well, Joseph is in that same spot right now as he's doing this. As you read through the rest of the story, you can see he, you know, he had gotten that pat on the back even when he didn't deserve it mentality from his dad. As I read this story, I've seen a lot of culture in this today, how everyone's good enough. We're going to give everyone a pat on the back. As I was talking to Christy yesterday and a game that they're playing in kids' church, I guess what? I said, you're going to have a winner. Not everybody wins. That's not life. God never designed life for everybody to finish at the same spot. He said, I've got a specific thing for you to do. Don't worry about what they finish in their spot. And didn't he say that to Peter when he was walking with Peter after he was rose from the dead? And he's like, dude, what about this disciple back here? He's like, don't worry about him. Do what I've called you to do. And so the race we're running isn't against each other. It's with each other to the spots God has for us. And that's what God had to teach Joseph in this story as we walk through his life. And it also says we have to be careful who we share our dreams with. Even family. Okay, sometimes when we share a God-given dream to even family members, they won't be our biggest fans. They will be our biggest deterrents. And in a lot of times, it's because they think they're saving us from getting hurt. Hello? Um, but there will always be those who lack the faith and lack the vision and will tell you your dreams are inconceivable, impractical, and impossible. And are we willing to keep walking when that's said? Alexander Graham Bell's father-in-law called the telephone a toy no one would play with. Where would we be today if he would have listened to his father-in-law? The famous Brit British physicist Lord Kelvin said radio has no future. British astronomer George Bidwell Airy said that the computer is absolutely worthless. In 1899, Charles H. Duell, director of the United States Patent Office, made the statement, everything that can be invented has been invented. Okay, in case you missed that, that was 1899. Everything that can be invented has been invented. Well, the very next year, R.A. Fessenden 
sent the human voice over the radio waves for the first time. Okay, 1901, the first Mercedes automobile was constructed. In 1903, the Wright brothers successfully powered an airplane. In 1904, the photoelectric cell was developed. And all this was only five years after Mr. Duell said, everything that could be invented has been invented. Regardless of what the critics say, never let anyone kill your dreams. Because as, as, even if you look at history itself as written, you'll never do this, you'll never see this, this will never happen. You know, cell phones when they came out were a fad, they wouldn't do anything. And now, like, nobody can live without them. Tablets, when they came out, they were just big phones and they'll never last, because who's going to want to carry around this tablet to work on their computer? PCs have gone obsolete. Almost everything has a laptop or tablet. Nobody even has a home PC anymore. And so the inventions as they keep coming out and those visions that God keeps putting in your heart are to better humankind. They're not to make it less. And Proverbs 29:18 says, "Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law." Okay, so what he's saying there is when we don't have visions, when we don't have dreams, we live worldly because we're not seeing a bigger picture of what God has. And when God has created a vision and God creates our dreams, we now have a purpose to our life. We're not just floating through life. As we said last week in the message our perp- and the three weeks before that, our purpose in life isn't to arrive safely at death. Our purpose in life is to inspire coming generations to do greater things than we've done. Now, if Jesus said to his disciples, you will do greater things than me, why shouldn't we have that same thought process saying, guess what, my kids are going to do greater things than I've ever done. My grandkids are going to do greater things than my kids are going to do. And we can inspire fourth, fifth, and sixth generations to dream. Because we've killed the dream in our society today. We don't want people to dream. We, it's, the, it's the whole, you know, lobsters in a bucket thing. We're going to keep pulling them back in. We just don't want them to climb out. And so we pull everybody back with us. You get that one person who all of a sudden wants to take off and all of a sudden everybody's putting him down. You get that guy at your job who does more work than he should. And all of a sudden everybody in the lunchroom is talking about what a brown noser he is. Rather than understanding, he may be taking the verse the Bible says to heart that says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so he's working for God, he's not working for man, and so he's going to do the best job he can in the job he's got. But he's the guy that's put down, isn't he? We have kids who excel in school, who really work hard at getting good grades. And they're the ones that are picked on in school because they're just being brown nosers to the teacher and want to look special. But it's what God's placed inside of them to understand that I am doing my schoolwork and I'm becoming who I am because of who God created me to be. And so I may take some grievance for that. But guess what? I would prefer to be happy with my life than happy with other people happy with me. Now I can say it honestly, some of my family members and some of my close friends never understood why I became a pastor. I didn't ask them. When I went and did my licensing thing, when I sat down with my sectional presbyters, they said, why do you want to become a pastor? My brilliant answer? Because God told me. 
That was my only answer. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do besides this. And so when I get around people, I get excited and it drives my kids nuts because I just start talking to people. Why? Because Jesus is what's most important to me. As you talk to me for too long, you're going to start hearing about Jesus. You're going to hear about center shot. You're going to hear about things we're doing to reach out into our communities to love on people because that's who Jesus created us to be was a group of people who just love. And we give back and then understand that grace is messy. Grace sometimes hurts. And Joseph's brother in this plan, if you go through and you keep reading, they wanted to kill him. So as you keep reading through in Genesis 37, it's a long story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing today because it goes through 37 all the way through 42. But I'm going to give you some highlights. Joseph gets his cool coat of many colors. We've all heard it. If you ever went to vacation Bible school or ever went to kids' church, he had this coat of many colors. I'm not sure how that was cool, but hey, it apparently was back then. And so he's going out and he's looking for his brothers because his, his dad told him to go get him some food. And so he's walking out and he runs into these people saying, I'm looking for my brothers. They're like, hey, he's over there. And his brothers get together and they say, guess what? They see him coming and they say, let's kill him. Okay, they apparently didn't like him a lot. Okay. Now Reuben, who's the oldest brother, said, now nah, let's not kill him. Let's just beat him up, throw him in the cistern down here. Because he had a plan to come back and rescue him later. Okay, again, just giving you highlights. Read the story. It's in here. Okay. Well, while they're gone, Joseph's in this pit. All of a sudden, these Midianites, slave traders, come flying by. Okay, not flying. They were on camels, horses, whatever. But, <laughs> again, this is a gene version of the Bible. Um, God said it's okay. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in Genesis 37, 27, and 28, we read that Joseph is sold into slavery. Now, there's a clue from preschool to deathbed, life's not fair. I don't remember reading anywhere in the Bible where God said life's fair. God said you're going to have trouble. Get over it, you big baby. That's my version again, because that's how he talks to me. When I got saved, it was the proverbial two-by-four upside my head that said, wake up, you doofus. Can I say that in church? I don't know. Um, but he sold him to slavery, so we see life is unfair. Do you think Jesus leaving his kingdom and coming to earth to die on a cross was fair? No, grace is messy. Forgiveness is messy. It takes sacrifice. And so what makes us think we should be treated fairly in life is our self-preservation of pride. That's really what it comes down to. And in the story of Joseph, we see in Genesis 50, 20 is a great verse to tie this together. It says, and this is at the end of the story, we're going to talk a little bit more about the story in a second, but at the end of the story, it says, as for what you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So when we look at life's pains, a lot of times it may be God walking us through some things to get us to where we need to be to become who he's called us to be. And so there's purpose to your pain. God's not letting you walk through this pain alone. He's walking beside us. 
I mean, Joseph just got tossed into slavery, okay? And if you go to Romans 8.28, that goes with that last verse I just read, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so we see that Joseph didn't know that yet. But he's still walking. He's sold into slavery. He gets to slavery, he gets to Egypt. He's sold to Potiphar. Okay, Potiphar's house. All of a sudden, dude starts taking care of Potiphar's house, and Potiphar knows he does a good job. And if you read it three times in chapter 30, 39, it actually says the Lord was with him, was with Joseph, so we know his mind's starting to change, right? He's starting to think, okay, God's got a plan. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to trust God on this. And so he starts walking through this. Everything Joseph did prospered. All of a sudden, Potiphar's house starts to prosper. Potiphar puts him in charge of his house. And then what happens? Temptation creeps in. And this time, okay, Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was hot. Okay? She wanted to do mean things with him. That's what it says in the kids' version they're listening to today. That's a good, clean version for us. And what does Joseph do this time? Instead of pride, he runs. I love that. When temptation comes, sometimes we need to just run. We ain't strong enough to deal with it, so just get out of there. And that's what Joseph did here. He didn't necessarily deal with the temptation, but he ran. Okay? And so he was falsely accused, and then what happened to him? He gets thrown in prison. Dude has no luck. Okay? But he's gone from being prideful to now he runs. He's learning not to deal with things on his own. And so as we keep going through the problems, the Lord is teaching him the difference between growing old and growing up. And that's where we need to be as Christians. We need to realize we got to stop growing old and we need to grow up in the church today. We need to understand that Jesus is in charge, not me. We need to understand that we got to step out once in a while in faith. That's growing up. And as we learn to grow up, we remember some things that God is always doing something in our lives. Because we take our eyes off of what we see and we start to see what God's doing for us. We start to see that those storm clouds that gather around us, we're not alone. We see in Psalm 37, 23, it says, God is always guiding you. Now, see, I'm just dumb enough to believe what God says is true. And if he says he's always guiding me, then he's always guiding me. Now, I occasionally grab the rudder and try to guide myself because I'm not as Christian-y as you people. And so I try to steer, and he's like, fine, dude, you're going to stay in the storm longer than you need to until you let go. So that tells me that if some of you are going through some struggles this morning, you may be there by your choice because you're trying to control those struggles. And God's saying, let me take care of them for you. I'm always guiding you when you let me. Psalm 121, 5 through 8 basically said, God is always guarding you. Okay? You read many times in Scripture where it talks about ministering saints or ministering angels who watch over us. You see throughout scripture in Israel how they had guards set up on the wall 
to protect it. Well, God does that same thing with your life. He will set those guards up around your heart, around your family, around your marriage, around your kids. If we pray for them to be done and we say, God, you said you're always guarding me, so I am going to hang on to what you said and I'm going to pray what you said because your word's perfect and I'm not. And then number three, it says God is always gauging you. He is constantly measuring your growth. He's far more concerned about how you react to a problem than how you face it. And so when Joseph ran here, he did exactly what God wanted him to do. He didn't want him to face that temptation. And so Joseph ran. What happens to Joseph after that? He gets thrown in prison. <laughs> like I said, dude can't catch a break. But what happens in prison? Slowly, he's in charge of the prison. Dude is in prison, and God is with him. It says the Lord is with him, and he's now in charge. How did that work? But all of a sudden, he's put in charge, and all of a sudden, his baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh get thrown in prison. I'm going to just go through the rest of this story. Cupbearer gets thrown in prison. They both have dreams. Okay, dreams, not going through the dreams because they're a little different. But basically, cupbearer would be restored in three days and hand in Pharaoh his wine. Dude, the baker, dude's going to be hung. That's what he told him. The only thing Joseph told either one of them was to remember me when this comes true. Okay? So they come, it comes true because he said, I can't interpret your dreams, but God can. So God used Joseph to interpret their dreams. And he told them what was going to happen. All of a sudden, cupbearers handing Pharaoh his wine. Dude gets hung. Life goes on. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And this is what the kids are talking about this morning. And Pharaoh has this dream one night where he gets seven fat cows that come out the river. They're looking good. They are just good-looking cattle. Okay? And all of a sudden, seven ugly ones, gaunt, they called. And so I'm just thinking these things are scrawny, ugly, little, just nah. You wouldn't do anything with them. You would shoot them. They come out and they eat the healthy cattle. And then all of a sudden, he has another dream where a stalk of, of grain comes up and it's got seven just plump heads on it. Just great looking grain. I have no idea what that looks like. Maybe you people do. Um, and then seven just sticks come out, basically. And they devour the good ones. And he calls his magicians. He calls his seers. He calls all these people who should be able to divine the world. And they have no answer for him. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like... The cupbearer remembers, hey, whoa, whoa, I forgot about this dude, but he can tell you your dreams. Two years, Joseph stayed in charge in prison and did what God called him to do. We get upset when we have to go two days. Think about that. Two years, he's struggling. Because, you know, I don't, we see pictures of jail. They're not like our jail. Okay, they ain't up walking around and stuff like that in those jails. I mean, there's been pictures of some of them where the, the ceilings on them are like four feet. They, it, it wasn't good, okay? And all of a sudden, Pharaoh calls Joseph forward. Joseph tells him the meaning of his dreams. Okay, Joseph's going through a lot of pain, okay? He's been beaten. He's been sold into slavery. He's been in Potiphar's house. He's been tossed into prison. He's lived in prison, and now he's in Pharaoh's presence and he tells him what the dream stands for it's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and all of a sudden Pharaoh 
sees. I love this part. Pharaoh, a non-God-believing person, says, I see that the Lord is with you. So when you're worried about our people are looking at you, understand if you're proclaiming the truth that God is giving you, whether they believe or not, they're going to know the Lord is with you. And so he puts them in charge of, and all of a sudden, through all this, he gets to be second in command in Egypt. He went from a little farmer dude in a colorful coat to being second in command in the greatest empire of that time because of the pain he walked through that he didn't run through and realize God had a purpose for it. And the story ends up with his brothers coming to get grain because the famine was great. And the dream that he had at the beginning where his brothers were bowing down to him happened. But Joseph had grown up so much. It's why he said, Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, he had grown up at this point. And so every problem Joseph faced, he had a helper and a, com- and a companion that we see over and over again in Scripture that the Lord was with him. And it says, the Lord is also with you, Joseph. Never quit on the Lord because he never stopped believing in you. And so the four points that we look at this morning as I get ready to conclude is there is a special person inside of you. God has created a special person inside of each and every one of you. God has a special plan for you that he's designed only for you. There are special problems that are just for you that nobody else can handle for you and God will always be with you. And so, in conclusion, I'm going to read this story. It said, I heard about a fellow who came into town to a Little League baseball game. He looked at the scoreboard and it said 21 to nothing. A little boy was sitting on the bench while his team was in the field and the other team was batting. And the fellow said to the little boy on the bench, Son, it looks pretty bad for your team, doesn't it? The little boy said, No, sir, we haven't been to bat yet. Sometimes it may look like the world is crumbling around you. It may look like your flesh and the devil is winning. But remember, with God on our side, anything is possible. We will always win at the end of the day. And so God is preparing a great victory for you. He truly has something special for each and every one of you this morning. I truly believe that. And when life seems to be spinning out of control and total chaos is the order of the day, hang on to God because he'll get you through it.